Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Um, so, big hello to anybody watching online. And um, just in case we have some new youth here, um, you may notice we don't have many youth here, and they are up at Camp Shamana. So, um, if you're looking around going, where are the youth? Um, we have about 20 some youth coming home today, and they're having a great time. So um, if you are new also, uh, there's a QR code with a brochure behind the seat in back of you, and we'd love to get to know you more. So feel free to fill that out. Um, So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to gather together to worship you this Sunday morning. Thank you that you protected our youth and leaders on the trip up to Camp Shamina, um, and we pray a hand of protection on them over as they travel home. Lord, there's been a lot going on this week, both inside and outside of our congregation. And as Ed comes up to pray in a little bit, we thank you for the praises, and also we also thank you, Lord, that you are a great healer who is at work in the lives of many people, both here and around the world. Be with Pastor Bruce as he gives this message today, and may it speak to our hearts in the way in which you intended. It is in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me and worship? Well, good morning. Uh, for those that I have not met yet, my name is Bruce Rugsma. I am the uh, senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. Welcome. We are glad you are here. We do have a whole group of students up north at uh, Winter Wipeout, and so uh, thank you to those of you that have been in prayer for them as they've been gone. Um, We are, uh, they are coming back today, so continue to be lifting them up in prayer for safety as they travel. Um, We we want them to to come back safely. We want them to come back having experienced uh, solid community. We want them to come back having experienced a new encounter with, with the living God. So continue to be in prayer for them. And, and as we continue our time of worship, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a little bit about what we have going on here at our church as a way to put our worship in word and deed moving forward. And we uh, are praying for Luke and our youth. Um, thank you to you as a church for supporting um, our youth ministry. Uh, youth ministry is one of the many things, including lights and uh, snow plowing in our parking lot, that your giving goes to fund here at the church. So uh, if you are a regular attender here, we would ask that you consider giving as a part of your worship experience. And so if you want to do that this morning, you can do that through the offering boxes in the back. You can do that online. You can do that through your phone. Please, please uh, worship uh, through giving. Giving back to the Lord is one of the things that we are called to do. Also, uh, we have our congregational meeting coming up, and we're going to be seeing what God has done in the year past, looking forward to what God is doing. One of those things that, again, the giving relates to and the winter wipeout relates to is we are calling uh, Luke to be our youth pastor part-time while he finishes school and then moving him into a full-time status when he graduates in June. That, along with uh, some new members, are some things that we will be Uh, voting on at our business meeting, and so I would encourage you to come to those things. These are opportunities for us to move our worship outside of just our Sunday morning, away from just singing and hearing the word, but into how we live our lives, allowing 
our worship to permeate everything we do. Well, good morning again. And uh, for those of you that have maybe uh, are my age and older, we'll say, you might remember a time on NPR where there was this radio show uh, called uh, Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keillor. And he would do the tales from Lake Wobegon, and he would start every time with the phrase, it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, my hometown, right on the edge of the prairie. He would start every weekend. And what would follow was a story that was not a quiet week at all. It was chaos. It was, you know, the strangest things would be happening, um, bizarre things. I kind of feel that way this morning. My wife has been gone with the youth up at Winter Wipeout with my older two. I've been back here on Friday. We realized the trailer needed some service to be able to go to Winter Wipeout. I spent the day trying to get the trailer in someplace. We got it fixed. Um, the place that fixed it did it for free, crammed us in, and then didn't charge us. While I was driving the trailer around, my windshield cracked. After my wife left, I was driving my car, my shocks went out, my neighbor was able to put new shocks on my car for me. It's been a quiet week in uh, Watertown, um, right on the edge of chaos. So, so I think it's, you know, as we are digging into the book of Judges and we are talking about how God is at work in broken places, keep your eyes open. Because I think we are seeing that in our community, in our church, in our world today, that despite all sorts of brokenness around us. We're still seeing God at work. We're still seeing God at work. We're seeing places cram trailers in to get fixed. We're seeing uh, people you know, help out others. We're seeing God provide. And, and I don't want us to miss that. And, and as we look at the book of Judges, remember that that's kind of our theme is that God is at work in broken places. God continues to move in broken places and no matter what seems to be happening, God is aware and God is in control. And so we're gonna continue this morning as we look at Judges and a reminder that our thesis, if you will, for those of you that are thesis people, thesis statement people. I know, I know those in the room who are in middle school and high school, you know, you hear the idea of a thesis statement and your eyes roll back in your head. But, but it, it, it is, it's a significant idea. What, what is the, bind, the, the statement that binds it together? And our thesis in the book of Judges is from Judges 17. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so far we have looked at this judge's book and we have seen this undulating pattern of chaos and uh, where people turn away from the Lord and then they fall into servitude. And they fall into servitude to other foreign gods which leads to servitude to other foreign powers which leads them to repentance and they turn back to the Lord and deliverance only to continue the cycle Again, and we've looked at some characters already, and we started with Joshua, where Israel came into the land and they conquered mostly the land, not completely the way they were supposed to, but mostly, and then they immediately fell away. And then we have them the next, the, the, the next week, we talked about Deborah, who kind of confronts the first real challenge to the people of Israel in this time and how she caused uh, God working through her, excuse me, but caused the people to repent and turn back only to do it again. And last week we looked at 
Gideon, and we saw the same thing. And, and we're going to continue to see this pattern go again and again and again, where people walk away, fall into servitude to other gods, to other, other sins, and then finally at the last minute turn back to the Lord and find deliverance only to repeat the cycle again. And so our, our passage this morning uh, picks up, and we're going to kind of jump in in verse 6. And before that, the first five verses tell these, these stories of two other judges, Tola and Jair, which, which we're not going to go to this morning, but just a reminder that while it's happening in one part of the community, something else might be happening in another. And we don't really know why these stories were stuck in there. There's not a lot to go on. We don't get a lot of information, except that we see they're in, in distinctly different places than other places we've been. Right? And so we, it's just that reminder that God continues to work. And while we're hearing about Jephthah this morning and seeing what God is doing there, and while last week we were looking at Gideon, in other parts of Israel, God is moving as well. We might not have those records exactly how it worked out, but, but it's going on all around. And, and, and we're kind of in the same spot in our world, where when I'm in this spot, maybe your weekend hasn't been at all like mine. Maybe you haven't had the level of chaos I have. But God is still working. God is still working, and, and sometimes that, that way that you see God working in your life at that time is for you, it's a time of peace. And for me, it's a time of seeing God's faithfulness. And for somebody else, it's a time of, of seeing God in repentance. And so that's kind of what's going on in Israel. And so we're, we're not going to dig into those stories, but I want to just acknowledge that, that they're there, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 10, verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and Ashtoreths. And the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him. And that's kind of the lead in to our story. This morning, as we look at Jephthah, we're going to see that we're starting with the same pattern again. And we've talked about this before, and, and, and I, I'm going to maybe start sounding like a broken record through this series a little bit, because it's again, again. Again, again, again they did evil. Again they turned away, again. And again, before we get too judgmental of them, remind uh, ourselves that we do the same thing. How many of us, when we look at our lives and we fall into sin and temptation, do we go, oh, again? And so we're seeing this pattern. This is not an Israel problem. This is a human problem. It's not an Old Testament problem. It's a modern day problem. This is a human reality. And so as we look at these stories in Scripture, not to glory in their failings, but like I said, to see how God continues to work in broken places. And so we're going to continue reading the passage in the next several verses, give a glimpse into the chaos facing Israel. They're surrounded on all sides by enemies. You, know, you, you read there and it lists the Ammonites and the, uh, let me go back so I can actually list them. Oh, there they are. Uh, the, Ar the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, they're surrounded by these enemies encroaching. And some of those were ones they were supposed to have driven out under Joshua and didn't. And some of those, uh, as we'll see as we look, are people coming in and trying to take land from them. But they're, they're completely surrounded and feeling overwhelmed. And we can feel the same way as well. And so as we look at the story of Jephthah this morning, we're going to see how they respond to this overwhelmed feeling, and we're going to see the ripple effects of sin. And we're going to see how a sin here leads to this and leads to this and leads to this, and it's going to ripple out through their lives and through their community. 
We're gonna see those ripple effects. And we're gonna see how they are affected indirectly and directly. And hopefully look at ourselves and ask ourselves, where am I letting sin take a foothold and cause these ripple effects in my own life? I have a friend who's fond of saying that every decision is a choice and every choice has a consequence, positive and negative. Every decision is a choice and every choice has a consequence. And so choosing sin is a choice. And there are often consequences from that. And so we're gonna see that these sin choices cause things to happen. And it's not a cause as in something out of our control. It is entirely because we have chosen to bring sin into our life. And the first rejection we will see in our story is that sin causes us to reject God. Sin causes us to reject God. Sin is ultimately a rejection of God's authority in our life. Sin, anytime we do it, is us at some level looking at God and going, I know you have told me not to do this, but I think in this moment, I know better than you. And therefore, I reject your authority in my life, and I'm gonna do what I think is best. How are we any different? In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You know what, God, you might be God. You might be all-powerful, all-knowing. You might have existed for all time, but I think you're wrong on this one. I mean, how arrogant of us to have that attitude, but we reject God. Sin causes us to reject God, and, and our author in Judges makes it abundantly clear that that's Israel's root issue in this moment. We're gonna pick it up in verse 10. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and you could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will, lead, will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. And so once again, we see Israel turning in repentance. They've hit rock bottom and they turn. And, and sometimes it seems they turn out of desperation. We have tried everything on our own, God. And finally, we're at the end of ourselves and we will, at the last moment, turn to you. And here, God is, seems fairly harsh with them. You know, let the gods you have called on save you. And I think he does the same with us sometimes. We've tried to rely on our own power. We've tried to rely on our own wit, our own ability, our own test scores, our own job performance, whatever. We've tried to rely on that. And then when that doesn't work, I think there's a little moment where God looks at it and goes, you've chosen that to be your savior. How's that going? And, and that's what he does here. But, and, but they turn and they, they repent. They repent in word to start with. They say, God, save us. And when he says, I'm not gonna save you this time. It seems like you've made a choice. And, and I love their attitude. Do with us what seems best. There's finally a repentance. Do with us what seems best. But we've seen this before. We've seen this before where, where 
Israel already in Judges has called out and said, we repent only to respond and do the same thing again. But I think the second part that our author shows us that is very important is their actions. Their actions conform to what they're saying. Israel does not leave it at, we won't do this anymore. They also, as a community, get rid of the foreign gods in verse 16. And this is the only time we will see that level of repentance in the book of Judges, where they will toss out their foreign gods. And, and it's a pattern we'll continue to see as you read into Kings and Chronicles in the next book. You'll see times where, where, they'll bring, where they'll bring up a new king and they'll say, this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except he didn't cast out the foreign gods. And so we can see that there is some times where we sometimes turn to God in repentance in word and don't follow it up with deed. We don't put action to our repentance. There's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is saying, God, I'm sorry. Repentance is putting stuff in the way to show that you are turning the other direction. God, what I did was wrong, and I'm going to seek to make it right. God, serving these foreign gods was wrong of us, says Israel. So we are going to seek to make things right by casting out the foreign gods. There's a shift here. And as a church, we as believers, we must do both. And I think it's tempting sometimes to take God's grace for granted where we come in and say, sorry, God, uh, did I get the forgiveness box checked? Because I'm going to go back out and do the same thing again. And there are times where that's how we behave. And so don't think that we are a whole lot better than they sometimes. God calls us for both. In Jeremiah chapter 7, as Israel later in their history is back in the same cycle. Now they have a king, but they're still continuing the same cycle like we all do. Jeremiah says this and calls it out in Israel. And this is God speaking through Jeremiah. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. We need to be careful. Sin, when we let it enter into our life, it causes us to reject God as our authority and we can start taking it on as our own, in our own power and we can see God as a magical get-out-of-jail-free card. And what was going on in Israel at the time of the judges, what's going on in Israel at the time of Jeremiah is people are coming into the tabernacle, people are coming into the temple and they're tapping in, safe. I checked in at church. I went and did my confession, made my sacrifice, I'm good to go. And we'll see that we are not a whole lot different. How many of us, we do the same thing, and instead of putting something in our way to, to acknowledge God's authority, we continue to reject his authority and do it on our own power. And God is calling that out. Hey, sin will cause you to reject me as your authority. So turn in confession and repentance. Do things to make sure that God stays the authority in your life. Sin causes us to reject God. Sin also causes us to reject others. So sin is ultimately a selfish act, and as such, it causes us to see ourselves more highly than we ought. And when we see ourselves as the primary authority in the world, guess what? We begin to reject other people because they are not as important as I am. We are all the hero of our own story. We are all the main character in the novel that is our life. 
and we at times can reject God as the primary authority, then it's very easy to start rejecting people as being less than. That person over there, their needs are not as important as my needs because I know best. Sin is a selfish act. And we're gonna see that in Judges. We're gonna jump ahead to chapter 11, further in Jephthah's story. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Jephthah has a less than auspicious start. And maybe you have heard the saying before that hurt people hurt people. Jephthah's family was hurt by Jephthah's dad letting sin reign in his life. And as is common when we let sin reign in our life, and I'm looking at Jephthah's dad right now, when we let sin reign in our life and we do something foolish, it's easy to let somebody else bear the consequences. And Jephthah's brothers, half-brothers, instead of uh, dealing with dad's promiscuity, Jephthah's dad, instead of taking responsibility for the mistake he made and stepping in with his sons and saying, this is still my son, lets the most vulnerable person in the room deal with the consequences. Because he is less than. What I need is more important. It's easier for me to maintain my authority as the father figure in this story. It's easier for him to maintain that if he doesn't bear the consequences for his mistake. And we start to see other people as less than. And being rejected, Jephthah gathers around him a group of rejects. They band together. The Bible calls them scoundrels. He collects around him a group of other rejects. We'll pick it up again in verse 4. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Because remember, he was a mighty warrior. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And this passage gives us a really real story. This is how real life is. It's, it's, it's generally not neat and tidy. It's not like a Marvel comic book, right? It's not, we see here a broken person who is rejected, but because he was a mighty warrior, and how many times have we experienced this in our, in our world? We reject somebody and we cast them out because they're uncomfortable. We don't wanna face, you know, they're different. We don't wanna face the consequences of our own actions, whatever. We've rejected and driven somebody out. And then all of a sudden we realize we, we need that person. And all of a sudden we come back, hey, buddy, you know, I was just realizing that you have a car I could use. And I thought, we should be friends again. 
I mean, how many of us have experienced something like that or done something like that? I mean, this feels really real. Hey, and, and, and lo and behold, he's a little skeptical. Really? Really? You drove me out. But now you're coming to me as a mighty warrior. You need my skills. Really, you're going to let me lead? And you're not going to, once we defeat the Ammonites and drive them out, uh, you're not going to then go, anyway, good luck. See you later. Please don't, please don't be visible to us anymore. How many times have we seen that kind of behavior? And this feels real because when we start to reject God and we start to prioritize ourselves, it's really easy to see people for the, the services and goods that they bring into our relationship. We can go to somebody and go, you know what? Um, I could really use your running car right now, so now I think we should be friends. But as soon as I've gotten what I need, I'm just going to set you aside again like I did the last time. Sin causes us to reject others, and we don't see people as they truly are. Every person, every human being is made in God's image and is worthy of respect for that reason. And instead, we see them for what they can provide. Why do we do this? Because Sin causes us to reject other people for our own benefit. And we'll go back to Je uh, Jeremiah again, because Jeremiah addresses this as well. When he talks about rejecting God, he addresses this same idea of rejecting others as well in Jeremiah chapter 7. Again, God's words to the people of Israel. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. How we treat other people is a reflection on how we view God. If we view God as the creator of every human being and every human being as somebody worthy of respect because they are made in God's image, we will not treat them like commodities. We will not care for them just because of the goods and services they provide. We will care for them as people, and the people of Israel are treating Jephthah like a commodity. Sin causes us to reject God. Sin causes us to reject others. Sin also can cause us to reject reality. Sin, by definition, being selfish, causes us to start to ignore the things that don't feel good. I mean, think about it. When you've done something you know you shouldn't do, right? You, you, you go to school, you're in high school, you, you didn't study for that exam. All of a sudden you show up and, you know, I had this, actually, my first test in college is when I learned the importance of reading the syllabus because I didn't know it was test day until I sat down at the desk because I was so used to people reminding me all through high school, reminder kids, Reminder class, we have a test next week. And my first history professor didn't remind me. And all of a sudden I sat down and went, oh boy, we have a test today. And how many of us, you know, being in a situation like that, we then take matters into our own hands. I deserve an A. The fact that I didn't read the syllabus is really the professor's fault for not reminding me. So... I'm going to just kind of keep my eyes open. And if I see somebody else filling out an answer, I might, you know, take that answer here and take that. And all of a sudden we, we get the consequences for that behavior. Maybe we start to feel a little guilty. Maybe somebody calls us out. We see that person next to us kind of shift. So, you know, don't. 
And instead of that being a cause for us to change our perspective, we start to reject that reality. How unfair of them to block me from stealing off of their paper. And we start to interpret our own reality and we start to reject the reality of God's reality and we start to interpret our own. And, and, and in the world, we can call that confirmation bias. I want a certain outcome, and so I'm going to start looking for that because it's more important that I'm right than that I see what is actually happening. Sin, being selfish, chooses to look at reality through that specific lens. And we're going to see that now in the king of the Ammonites, verses 12 through 16. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with questions. So remember, the Ammonite king is coming into Israel. That's their current threat that they've called Jephthah to deal with. And so he starts by reaching out to the Ammonite king. What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. And Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king saying, this is what Jephthah says, Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. And I'm going to skip the next few verses because it's complicated, especially without a map and an understanding of the ancient Near East geography, which I don't want to take the time to do this morning. Suffice it to say, basically, he points out that you're choosing to interpret reality through your own lens, King. That is not what happened. When we came out of Egypt, we asked to pass through your land and went and conquered this land over here. And now you're coming and trying to take this land over here that is ours away from us because you want more land. I mean, it'd be tantamount to us, you know, having, having uh, been, uh, had an agreed upon border with Canada for a long time. And all of a sudden Canada comes in and tries to take the Northwest Angle away from Minnesota and says, well, you stole this from us. Whoa, time out. That's been Minnesota's land for a long time. Canada can't just come in and decide yeah, we're going to reinterpret history. That's ours. That's essentially what's going on. Ammon is coming in and saying, we've decided this, this is ours. And Jephthah goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's not how it happened. And sin can cause us, Ammon, looking at their own needs, their own desires, their own wants, goes, you know what? That should be ours. I think that's ours. That's ours, right? Yeah, that's ours. This, this is ours. And Jephthah's going, no, 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 that's, that's not what happened. We're going to jump ahead. Verse 27, I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Your words are meaningless to me. I reject your reality and substitute my own. How many of us have done the same thing? We get confronted with our sin and somebody starts bringing something forward and going, you know, this doesn't add up. The story you're telling, it, and, and we start to cover one lie with another lie. Oh, yeah, when I said I was up fishing up north, what I, what I meant was um, I was fishing up north a couple weeks ago, not, not yesterday when you saw me in town. No, 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 no. And the fish that I said was this big was, was this, this, this big. Right? And we start to change the story and we start to substitute our own reality for the reality in front of us. We miss out and we immediately move to the blame game. It's not my fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my dad's fault. My mom's fault. 
Ammon is looking at it going, it's not our fault we don't have land. It's Israel's fault. They took that land. That should be our land. How sin corrupts us. We ignore what we do not want to hear. We overlook in a way that is to our benefit. When it's, benefit, when, it's, when it's beneficial to us to overlook something, we overlook it. And yet, when we start dividing that piece of pie, now we're going to be really specific. Unless we're going to get first choice, then we're like, yeah, that's close enough to half. It's my piece, it's your piece, that's pretty close. But when we get second choice, so, oh, wait a minute, that looks a little uneven. We reject and start choosing our own reality. Our last one from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah again deals with the same thing. And he looks to Israel and he says, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. And Israel at the time of Jeremiah was coming into temple and offering the sacrifice to cover their sins and going, see, now I can go out and keep doing these things. And they were believing this lie that they believed that because the temple was in Jerusalem, no harm would ever come to Jerusalem no matter what they did. Despite the fact that throughout all of Israel's history, God said, if you reject me, I will reject you. I will haul you away into captivity. You will pay the consequences for your sin. And they're ignoring that and going, yeah, but the temple is here. The temple is here. God won't do anything. The temple is here. We're safe. We can do whatever we want. He says, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. And don't we do the same? Where are we trusting in the deceptive words of leaders, even pastors? Because they make us feel good. And we're ignoring the words we don't like. Or maybe we're doing that with uh, teachers or politicians or bosses at work or whatever, where we're going, I like what they're saying, so I'm going to latch on to that. And I'm going to ignore these other things. Because I don't like those. And those make me uncomfortable. Where are we trusting in deceptive words that are worthless? Because sin causes us to reject reality. And sin also causes us to reject decency. Because if we reject God as supreme and we reject people as less than and we start to substitute our own reality, it's not long before we can start treating people however we want. And now the fact that somebody else is suffering the consequences of my sin, which really isn't sin, because I've defined it how I want, and they're really not worth And also we can start to be really indecent to them. Sin brings death and destruction in its wake, and it is by definition indecent. And we're going to see the rampant consequences of this indecency. Verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And so Jephthah makes this promise, which again, on the surface, we might look at and go, well, that sounds good. He wants to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He is, he is promising, God, I'll let you pick the sacrifice I will give to you. But we can see that while Jephthah earlier in all the passages, all the passages I skipped when he starts listing out with the Ammonite king, this land is yours and that land is ours, he has a very, very solid grasp of Israel's history, a very thorough understanding of the law of the land and the history. But we can see here that, uh, as one commentator puts it, clearly Jephthah's knowledge of the requirements of the law is by no means as great as the knowledge of Israel's history. 
In other words, he fully understands Israel's history and their rights as a people to land, but does not fully remember or care about God's laws. And all of a sudden, he can make this cavalier promise that puts him in a really awkward spot. And how often our words said in haste come back to bite us. And we find ourselves in a position where we either have to recant that thing we said or admit we made a mistake. And it's really tempting to do the indecent thing and maintain our own image and let somebody else deal with the consequences. And we can step away from decency. We are called to act in wisdom and discernment at all times. One of the reasons that we post the study guide for the sermons and put the verses on the screen is I hope that no matter who is up here on the platform, that you're taking the time to look into God's word yourself. We are expected, Jephthah is expected to know God's word and he clearly doesn't. We are expected as followers of God to know his word. And he doesn't. He doesn't look to scripture. And we have seen in our day and age, great leaders who had God working in their ministry fail. And we're about to see Jephthah fail, big time. And he's gonna have an opportunity to again do the right thing and he's gonna fail. Because even though God was using him, he still is a fallible human being. In verse 34, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, O oh, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. So in haste, he makes this promise that whatever comes out of my house first, I will sacrifice to the Lord as a burnt offering. And who comes out first? His only daughter, his only child. And again, while Jephthah is being used by God, that does not condone everything he does. You see, Jephthah does this thing where he, he builds this hierarchy of values, where he says, the value of keeping my word to the Lord is more important than my value of honoring what God's word says. Because God's word has made it abundantly clear time and again that you are not to sacrifice your children as a sacrifice to God or any other God. That is a non-negotiable in God's law. And here Jephthah has reordered the value in his mind that, you know, I can't break this law. I made a word, I made my word. My word is my bond, I can't break my vow. And I just wanna look and be like, do you really not think that God would be more pleased with you if you honored the law of don't kill your children over breaking your word? If you stepped back and said, I made a mistake, guys. I made a vow that I made in haste. I made a vow that I shouldn't have made and I need to repent of that and admit my mistake because I am not gonna kill somebody because God's law says not to do that. And I'm in a spot where I have to break one or the other and so I'm gonna choose to break the law that is the least important because it doesn't value or because it doesn't kill somebody. And it just seems so obvious to us, but Jephthah values his own appearance. Jesus, addressing the same thing in his day and age, says this to the Pharisees in Matthew, getting at the same idea of how we rank things. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Jephthah should have valued his word, yes, but he shouldn't do that at the expense of somebody else. That's his mistake. He shouldn't have made a hasty promise. He should have made a comment, you know, I want to make a sacrifice to the Lord. So when we get back, I will let the Lord lead me to a sacrifice that is honoring to him. Instead, he makes this hasty promise. And then when faced with the opportunity to do what is right, he chooses instead to do what is evil. Because sin, as we wander down this path, gets us to a spot where as we've rejected God and we've rejected others and we've rejected reality, it starts to seem like the better option is to make sure that we look good than to do what is right. Sin causes us to reject God. And finally, sin will cause us to reject humility. And we go full circle because really that's where it starts. As soon as we reject God and put ourselves in that place, we are stepping away from a spot of humility. Instead of admitting that we've made a mistake, we, we continue down this path and suddenly we find ourselves in a spot we shouldn't be. Judges chapter 12. This is after the incident with his daughter, which I'm not reading. It is there. He does follow through on it. And he, and he kills his daughter. And then we get to Judges chapter 12. The Ephraimite forces were called out and they crossed over to Zaphon. They said to Jephthah, why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. And Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now, why have you come up today to fight me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. These are two tribes in Israel. Two tribes in Israel that are both pointing the finger at the other one saying, you, why didn't you call me? I did call me. I did call you. You didn't come. And instead of pausing and having some humility, they just get into a civil war. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. If he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. And this is not a happy ending. This is a disturbing story where a, 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 a complete lack of humility, this idea that, that they're pointing fingers at each other and it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your, leads them to the point where, where 42,000 people are killed. Where is the humility? Where is that moment where we can step back and say, you know what, I may have made a mistake here. 
And even though God used me and did this incredible thing, you know, imagine if Jephthah would have looked at him and said, you know what, I did reach out to you, but maybe you didn't get it. Or maybe I didn't reach out correctly. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe I thought I reached out, but I didn't actually. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Or imagine if, if the, uh, the Ephraimites came to him and said, hey, why didn't you call us? And he said, I did. And they go, oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I missed that. Or, or maybe, you know what, you're right, you did and I didn't respond well. Imagine if they had that humility. Would it have led to a civil war where 42,000 are killed? And as often as we see stuff like this in Scripture, we can look at our own lives. And while it doesn't always end, in, I, I hope it doesn't end in 42,000 people dying, how many of us, out of our own arrogance, don't want to admit that we made a mistake because it's their fault? It's all their fault. And I was talking with a therapist I know who said something along the lines of, if we could ascribe our conflicts a value, saying that this conflict is only 40% my fault and 60% theirs, which we can't do. But imagine if we could. Imagine if in any conflict we could look at it and we could look at a numerical formula and say, you know what, this conflict is 90% your fault. 10% 10% mine, or 60% mine, and 40% yours. Imagine if we could do that. And imagine that that conflict is 99% somebody else's fault. The question we should be asking ourselves is, am I willing to take 100% responsibility for my 1%? Do I have the humility to come into it and say, look, you've hurt me, you've damaged our relationship, you've done some unkind things that I do want to talk to you about, but... I want to own my part of it, as minor as it is. Or instead, do we look at it and say, you know what, they did 99% of it, and so they need to fix it first. And until they do, I'm out. Which is what's going on between Jephthah and Ephraim. Nobody is willing to own their part of the conflict. And so instead, it escalates. We are called as followers of Jesus to humility. Because ultimately, no matter what sin we have committed, it starts as a sin against God. And we are 100% responsible in that one. We are 100% responsible, and we all stand at the foot of the cross on level ground. And instead of looking at it and going, my sin isn't as bad as theirs, do we look at it and say, it doesn't matter what sin I've committed, my sin is 100% my responsibility, and my sin has damaged my relationship with the Lord. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to deal with that because I can't deal with his sin or her sin. And so I'm gonna start with my own. And so we look with humility to the ripple effects of our sin and seek reconciliation and restoration wherever we can. So would you pray with me? Father God, help us to have humility. God, the humility to see that we are sinners in need of grace. And God, no matter what, in a conflict with somebody else, if it's our fault or not, Lord, we are responsible for our part. And God, we need to seek reconciliation and restoration with you because we stand as sinners. And so God, as we let sin run in our life and we reject you as God and we reject other people and we reject your reality and we reject humility and we reject all these things, God, help us to... God, to come to a spot where we repent. 
And God, help us to repent like Israel did at the start of this story, not just in word, but in word and deed. God, help us to turn to you because you alone paid the penalty for our sins. I pray this in your name, amen. As we end this morning, I'll read from 1 John chapter one. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.